0: Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Thanks
1: for listening. I've been going through our sermon series this summer. It's called The Journey to Joy Through the Psalms of Ascent. This morning we are in Psalm 132. We have a guest speaker this morning, so we gave him one of the longer ones. Um, Next week, we'll be back to just three verses. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and bowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or go into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in wow, Ephrathah, thank you. Good shout out there. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David and a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Well, Mark Knox is an elder pastor at Missio Day Church in Asheville, um, one of our partner churches. And so it's a joy to welcome him to bring the word this morning. If you would uh, come on up, I'll pray for you. And turn it over to you God you are good and Lord you've known about this day from eternity past and that we cannot fathom that God and so we just want to enter in <laughs> to that knowledge with with a sort of rest in who you are God I lift up Mark to you. I ask that you would bless him and be with him as he shares the word today. God, would you eradicate pride from our minds and our hearts, God, of thinking that we've heard this message before, that we know the gospel. God, may we know further the depths and the riches of your grace this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Michael. Good morning. Good to see all of you finally to uh, to visit here at Coramdeo. Um, put some faces. Um, we've we've kept you in prayer over the years, and uh, we get to see Billy and Hannah now and again. And so uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, and uh, you know to make the drive down the mountain, um, which always seems a little dangerous. You know, just kind of careening down that, that thing. So we're in Psalm 132. Again, one of these psalms of ascents, one of these going up psalms as the pilgrims uh, journeying up to Jerusalem may have been singing or reciting. And this particular psalm is based in history. Now we tend to sometimes think of the psalms as being just kind of a loose, loosely gathered uh, hymn book like if you, if you grew up in church and you had a hymnal, you know, there was no rhyme or reason necessarily to these hymns uh, or no connection to history. Uh, but in, in the case of the Psalms, now and again you have particular Psalms tied to historical events uh, in the Old Testament, and this is one of those. Uh, this Psalm is tied to the Ark of the Covenant And you remember the Ark of the Covenant as you saw it in that documentary film, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was, for for the ancient uh, Israel nation, it was the, the sign of God's presence. It was placed in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple in the holiest of holy places. And it symbolized God's presence. And sometimes God made his presence manifest at the ark in in fire and a cloud. The mercy seat was there, which is where once a year, the high priest would bring the blood of the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice, and place it, sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Uh, And what we know now is that's a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. Well, this psalm is based in the history, and in particular part of history, where King David wanted to take the Ark of the Covenant and return it to the city of Jerusalem. And so this is all about that journey uh, from a small town outside of Jerusalem where it had largely been forgotten and to bring it into, uh, the temple wasn't built then, but to bring it into the tabernacle, bring it into God's chosen place, um, and that was David's uh, desire. So as we go into this psalm, it's, it's broken up into, into basically two parts, two halves. The first part is, is in verses 1 through 10, and it describes David's resolve, David's desire to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And then the second half, verses 11 to 18, talks about God's resolve, God's promise, and his desire and his oath that he wanted to give uh, to, to King David. So let's begin uh, with the first half uh, and talk about David's resolve. And we're going to talk about two things here in this half. The first we find in verses 1 through 5 And here David expresses, or it is expressed about David, let me say that. This is not David writing. Uh, this This psalm came much later, and it's describing David and his passion for the glory of God. So in verses 1 through 5, it says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Now, as this begins, it talks about David's hardships, And this in particular, I believe, is, is talking about his, his conquest of Jerusalem. David was the second king of the nation of Israel. Saul was the first. David was anointed as king as God's chosen person, a man after God's own heart, he is described as. And when he becomes king, he's not king over all the land. He initially is king in a town called Hebron. And he reigned there for about seven years. And in those seven years, he attempted to conquest the city of Jerusalem, which was God's chosen place. And once he had done that, he now has a determination to return the ark to that place. Now, the ark had been captured by the Philistines some years before. And it's an interesting story to read back in in, uh, 1 Samuel, uh, and I won't go into it today, but just give you some highlights the Philistines, the archenemies of of the nation Israel, had captured the ark and they took it to one of their cities. And, And suddenly this city is overrun by pestilence. They have mice everywhere and it's kind of reenacting some of the plagues that God had visited upon Egypt hundreds of years earlier. And they're overrun with these mice and with sickness and all kinds of things. So... The one city says, we don't want this. And so they they send it to the next city, and the same thing happened. And finally, after about seven months, they said, okay, get it out of here. And so they put it on a cart, and if the oxen turned one way, then they knew that the plagues were from God. If it turned the other way, then it was just a coincidence. Well, the oxen went the way that signified to them that this was God's doing, and so they didn't want anything else uh, to do with the ark. So the ark went to, to a town called Kiriath-Jerim, which is a short distance from, uh, from Jerusalem. And David comes along, finally becomes king, and he wants to move the ark to Jerusalem. And so the first attempt was made. And... They're, they're moving it along, again on an ox cart, being dragged along. And one of the men attending it, a, a man by the name of Uzzah, put his hand out to steady the ark. Like the cart was rocking, and put it out to steady the ark. And God struck him dead. Now that seems a little bit extreme. And David was shocked and angered at this, that the wrath of God had come out on Uzzah. But what David realized is that the holiness and the glory of God will not be diminished. For one thing, the ark was being transported in a way that God did not prescribe. He said it was to be carried by priests on poles, not on an ox cart. And as if we can somehow protect God, Uzzah put his hand out to steady the ark. And God struck him dead. David surely knew of the story from way back in the Exodus where uh, Aaron's uh, Aaron's sons, Aaron was the great high priest, and, and his sons. Nadab and Abihu had offered strange incense and strange fire before the Lord, and the Lord came out and consumed them. And David certainly knew that story and knew what God said in that occasion where he said, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. God's holiness is is not something that we trifle. And so David, after this unfortunate attempt to move the ark and this failure, he said, well then, how can the ark come to me? And so he vows to find a place for the Lord. And this is the vow that we see in these verses here. Now the vow itself is not in any of the historical record. But it is something that's recorded for us here in Psalms. That David determined to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And this was not a political move. This was not a a move for him to establish his throne in Jerusalem. But rather, this was a zeal for God's glory. For the presence of God to be where God had chosen. Now God in the ark, traveled with the the Israel nation throughout the wilderness in the Exodus, and then coming into conquest of of the promised land, God had traveled with them in the presence of the ark. And in a sense, as it was placed in the tabernacle, wherever the tabernacle was, God was present with His people. This reminds us of of Jesus Christ and points to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 4, John writes, and the word became flesh, Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ. Came to dwell among us and to be the presence of God with us. And in fact, that word in John that says he dwelt among us, the word is literally he tabernacled with us. He came to visit. God in the flesh came. And we have seen his glory. Well, like David, we must live. Coram Deo, to see the glory of God displayed and exalted in our day among the greatest number of people to see Jesus Christ in all of His his glory. Now the second thing we see here in in David's vow, David's uh, determination, is a pursuit for God's presence. We see this in verses 6 through 10. And it says here, behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. It is the ark. Okay, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. David is pursuing God's presence here. And he begins by saying, we found it, we heard of it in Ephrathah, we found it in the fields of Jar. Now, Let me give you some background. In 1 Samuel 6, as I said, the ark was taken to the land of the Philistines where it it was there for seven months and then moved to Kiriath-Jerim. Saul becomes king, and we're not entirely certain of his age or the duration of his reign, but in, in 1 Samuel 7, it indicates that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for some 20 years. And then as David becomes king, in 2 Samuel 6, he orders the ark to be returned. And in a parallel passage in 1 Chronicles, David says these words. He says, then let us bring again the ark of our God to us For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. So for some 20 years, during the days of Saul, the ark remained in captivity. Not in captivity. It remained lost. We did not seek it in the days of Saul. One translation actually reads that we did not seek him, God, in the days of Saul. The ark had been forgotten. The word jar, or "jr" means thicket. It means they found it in a wood somewhere. The message translates this, that the ark was out of sight and out of mind. So seeking the ark, David's resolve to seek the ark was tantamount to seeking God. So then they find it. And now in verse 7, they turn their attention to worship. They say, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Verse 8 says, arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. Now this, this phrase, arise, O Lord, Was the same word, uh, were the same words that were used from the very beginning when Moses and they, they first created the ark and they would take it to move and they would call out, Arise, O God, and let your enemies be scattered. And so, in the same way, the pilgrimage is almost over. This isn't just a 20 year pilgrimage, this goes through centuries. Going back to when the nation was wandering in the desert and carrying the ark and the tabernacle from place to place and being led by God, this is now the the culmination of all that. God wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem, to his chosen place, and David wants to see it done. Now these words in verses 8 through 10 are the same words that were used at the dedication of the temple when Solomon first made the temple and dedicated it. So very likely this this psalm is written much later in the the history of Israel, possibly even after um, Judah had been sent off to exile and then then come back. So it's looking backward at, at Paul's days and saying, Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, the temple. Come into the temple. Be where you uh, are supposed to be. Verse 9 says, Let your priest be clothed with righteousness. You think back at, the, at David's first feeble attempt to, to move the ark, and poor Uzzah putting his hand out to steady it, and instruct struck dead. And so we the psalmist here knows that the priests in order to carry the ark need to be clothed in righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. And then verse 10 says for the sake of your servant David do not turn away the face of your anointed one. This is in reference specifically to David's offspring and any other king that came along. Now when these words were said at the dedication of the temple, the glory of God came out of the ark and consumed the sacrifice. Fire came down from heaven and the glory of God filled the temple and the priests were not able to even enter the house of the Lord. And they bowed down in worship. They put their their face to the ground on the pavement. And they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. This is what the presence of God can do. Where God is present, his glory is evident. Now, why don't we see that today? Why don't we see a a fire? Why don't we see an altar? Why don't we see the presence of God coming down? Is it because we are somehow less than they are? Is it because we're not as righteous, we're not as spiritual? No, it's because God has fulfilled all of that in Jesus Christ. And His temple is no longer a building made by hands, It's you and me and us together. We are the temple of God. And He dwells within us. Because of Jesus, our great high priest, we now have access to the Holy of Holies. The veil was torn and the presence of God is is with us and among us and in us through His Holy Spirit. It's not hidden in a thicket. So brothers and sisters, come boldly. What we have is so much greater than what they have. As stunning as that scene is of fire coming from heaven and all of that, what we have in Jesus Christ is far greater. And it's not hidden in a thicket. It's not hidden under a bushel, it's a a city on a hill, and Jesus Christ dwells with us. So come boldly. Well, now we move to the second half, and this is God's resolve, God's oath to David. So we see three things in his oath. This starts in verse 11. First, we see that, that God has promised a ruler. Verses 11 and 12. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. The first thing we see here is that God promises a ruler. God promises a ruler of David's seed on the throne forever. Notice at the beginning of verse 11 here, it says that it's a sure oath. The Lord swore to David a sure oath. Unlike David's oath, where he will not sleep, he won't rest until he gets the ark to Jerusalem, that was poorly executed. It took a couple of times. But God's oath is a sure oath. Now this says that one of David's sons I will set on your throne, and if they keep my covenant, they'll be on the throne forever. I've been reading lately in uh, 1 Kings, and let me tell you, if you haven't read it, Not one of David's sons fulfilled this. In fact, most were quite wicked. I think in the history of the Old Testament, there were, uh, among the kings of Judah, there were only five of the kings that were righteous in any measure. And even then, it says that they did not completely eradicate all the high places, all the idol worship, and so on. This was not fulfilled by any earthly king. But, Jesus Christ, son of David, he fulfilled this law perfectly. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach him, Jesus did that. He kept the law. And he obeyed the Father all the way to death on the cross paying for our sins, being the high priest, the the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He fulfills God's sure oath for a king forever. So that's the first part of God's oath. And then the second part is that for His sovereign purposes, God chooses. God chooses. Verse 13 and 14. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Why did God make the promise of the king? Verses 11 and 12. Well, verse 13. For, underline that, that's the reason. For the Lord has chosen Zion. Zion is his resting place. Zion, Jerusalem is his desired place. And why did he choose it? Because I have desired it, he said. He chose it because he chose it. In the book of Numbers, God says to Israel, don't think that I chose you because you were greater than all the nations in the earth or because you were bigger or wiser or any of that. I chose you and I loved you because I love you. It's kind of like when, when your wife asks you, you know, why do you love me? Like, that's a tough question. Because uh, I love you, but that's why God loves us. It just was His pleasure to do so. Why did God choose Zion for His dwelling? Why did God choose the elect? Because he desired it. We read in Ephesians 1 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. It's according to the purpose of his will. That doesn't mean that His choice of us is random or without reason. It's just that He's not chosen to reveal that reason for us. It's His purpose. And God's promises come out of His choice, which arises just simply from His good pleasure. There was nothing in us that was the basis of Him choosing us. Now that's humbling. That's recognizing that we were chosen not only as undeserving but disdeserving. We we deserve the exact opposite of his his choice and his grace. So in God's oath, we see his promise of a king. We see his for his sovereign purposes, God chooses, and then finally, to fulfill his promise, God acts. We see this in uh, the the end of verse 14, all the way through 18. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown Will shine. What God promises, He acts and does. He accomplishes. Notice that what He commits to doing here. Nine times in this passage, we see the words, I will, or they will, or I have. I will dwell. I will bless. I will satisfy. I will clothe. They will shout, I will make, I have prepared, I will clothe the enemies with shame. His crown will shine. These are all things that God is going to do. He's going to do for us, in spite of us, what God promises He accomplished. He chose us, and then He worked salvation. Notice in verse sixteen, kind of the highlight here. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. You notice the parallel back to verse nine. In verse nine, it's a it's a wish. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and your saints shout for joy. It's a hope, somewhat of a fearful hope in light of. The judgment that came out on on poor Uzzah. But verse 16 fulfills that hope. Not because of anything that the priests have done, but because God clothes them with salvation. And her saints shout for joy. It leads to these these singing and shouting of joy uh, for his saints. We picture the, the end of the journey of the ark as David is finally successful in bringing the ark to the, uh, to the temple, well, to the tabernacle. He brings it into Jerusalem. And you remember the story, God, uh, David is so excited, he's so filled with joy that, that he, he strips down and he, he's dancing before the Lord with all abandon and with all... Uh, He's not thinking about what people will think. In fact, his wife says, oh, look how the king has conducted himself. You know, he's, uh, he's so shameful. And uh, he says, you know what? I'm going to dance even more. He's that filled with the grace and the, the triumph of God as he accomplishes what he had set out to do. But beyond that, what God is doing in in His grand design of taking this nation of, of vagabonds and settling them in a land. And finally, the presence of God is in its chosen place. Now, all of God's promises we read in Scripture, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Just as the journey of the ark and the nation of Israel from vagabonds to the holy city and to home, we are brought to our final end through Jesus Christ. What joy it is to know this God who promises and delivers. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We are meant to have a taste of that now. God has given us the opportunity to glorify Him, to glory in Him through Jesus Christ. And enjoy Him in this day. So as we come together, brothers and sisters, let's let's rejoice. Let's soak in these words that we have been singing. This blessed assurance of being found in Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice and shout for joy. For you have every reason to be glad and joyful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, this passage of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that it will uh, strengthen us in the faith. I pray that we might, we might find that joy. And Lord, for those who today are feeling a sense of, of sadness or despondency or despair, Lord, I ask that you turn their eyes back to the Lord, that they seek the Lord's presence, that they Find the joy that you have for them in Christ Jesus. Lord, once again, I just pray you would encourage us in the faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Coram Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, CoramDeoNC.com. You can follow us on Facebook
1: and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.